And it's great to be with you again today and uh, bringing God's word. We're, we're, in one sense, we're still carrying on with our theme of in the beginning, only we've just moved it on a little bit. So our theme today is called A Fresh Start, and we'll look at A Fresh Start today, and then next week we'll carry on a little bit as well with it. But it's, it's all at the beginning. We're looking at Genesis 12. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn there. But uh, who here remembers the TV series Columbo? Ah, oh, we've got a few of you. Good. He's the disheveled, cigar-smoking, homicide detective that I love to watch. If you go home this afternoon on one of the Freeview channels, you'll be able to watch about six or seven free, um, uh, reruns in a row. So that's where I'll be spending my afternoon. But listen, they're always the same. Columbo is always the same. The opening scene starts in some mansion. It starts in some well-off business operation. It starts with some movie star or sports hero, something like that. So it always starts there, something above the normal. And then comes the murder. And you get to see the murder take place. You see the deceit and the skullduggery behind the murder. And you see the villains and the cohorts carry out the dastardly deeds. And of course, then you get to see the dead body. The dead body is found. And when the dead body is found, who comes on to the scene? Columbo shows up. He shows up in his trench coat. He's half asleep. And yes, he's still got the cigar in his mouth. The rest of the movie then is about Columbo trying to piece all of these clues together to find and accuse the guilty person. He is there to bring the guilty person to justice. It's really exciting stuff. If you haven't watched a Columbo, you need to watch it. But in a sense, as we read through the Bible, it's a bit like Columbo, only in reverse. Please forgive my comparison. It is a bad comparison, but we have a great start to our Bible. We have Genesis 1 and 2. I'll talk about that in a second. But then we have the skullduggery and deceits of the, the sin entering the world in Genesis 3 through 11. But then from Genesis 12 onwards, we see a twist in the plot. God shows up. But God doesn't show up to bring the guilty person to justice. God shows up to set the guilty person free. What a beautiful picture that is. Just by way of an overview and leading into the fresh start and leading into, especially next month where we start, to, um, start our Christmas time, I wanted to give us a bit of a sense of where we've been over the last few months that might help bring this into perspective a little bit. So over the last couple of months on our In the Beginning series, we've covered the miracle of creation, Genesis 1. God's amazing and wonderful creation, perfect, complete. And at the end of each day, God said, it is good. And we talked about the miracle of man, God creating man in Genesis 1 and 2, male and female. God's creating us in his likeness, in his image, giving us identity, giving us worth, giving us significance. And again, God said, it is very good. We looked at the miracle of marriage, the creation of woman taken from a man, again, sharing the same value, worth, significance as man. But God bringing the husband and wife together to fulfill the earth, to multiply, to fill the earth. You see, God wanted to, the world to be populated with humanity. 
And then we talked, John Andrews brought that brilliant ministry on the miracle of rest, again in Genesis 1. The last day of creation was the first day for Adam and Eve. We are invited to live in that place of rest, to operate from that place of rest. John's message was live each day from that place of rest. So Genesis chapters 1 and 2, everything is perfect, everything is paradise, all is working in perfect and harmonious glory. Then we come to Genesis 3, the crime scene. We see the story of sin coming into the world. We see the consequences. We see the impact. We see the devastation reaped by sin. The start of sin, Adam and Eve and the fall from grace in the garden. Where did it start? It started with, and did God say? Questioning God's word. Their disobedience led to separation and banishment. It led to labor and toil. It led to pain and conflict. And then uh, a little bit short time after, we talked about the spread of sin from Genesis chapter 4. The story of Cain murdering Abel after his sacrifice was rejected. R. Kent Hughes puts it like this. The sin of the first man caused the second man to kill the third man. I quite like that. Sin is now spreading. What has started with Adam and Eve has now spread even to their children. And then Natalie talked us through the seriousness of sin in Genesis 6 through 9 in the flood story. God's destruction of the world because of sin, except for one man and his family. Noah, who was found to be righteous, even in the midst of this world of sin, he was found to be righteous. And so God took it upon himself to protect Noah and his family. And again, just that ark is a a wonderful picture of Christ, Uh, just an image there. If we had had another session, we could have even talked about the story in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, that story of pride. Again, another story of sin. If we learn anything from Genesis 3 through 11, it's this. It's that humanity is prone to sin. It's our default nature from birth. Humanity is not naturally good. Humanity is naturally sinful. And we know that, don't we, from birth. You don't have to teach a child to be naughty. You do have to teach a child to be good. But the other thing that we know is that God takes sin seriously. We've just been singing about it. He is holy, 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 holy. God takes sin seriously. And we should not take sin lightly. Why? Because sin stains, sin spoils, sin separates. And even in Genesis chapter 4, God encouraged us to confront sin. In the story of Cain and Abel, God tells Cain straight up, says these words, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But the next words are so important. But you must master it. Guys, God encourages us to do some stuff when we see sin in our world and in our lives. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. There's a war, there's a battle going on for your soul, my soul. Believer, God wants to help us deal with the sin problem in all of our lives. But graciously, Genesis 12 is where the story turns. This is where grace, mercy, redemption starts to kick in. God sees and knows the world is in a mess because of sin. He knows that we get our own lives into a mess because of sin. 
And so he purposed to do something about it. His plan and all his plan all is and always was, even before the creation of the world, to deal with the sin nature of humanity, to deal with the sin nature of you and me. So that the whosoever's of this world might know freedom from sin. We might know liberty from shame. We might know relief from guilt. And ultimately, we might know release from the tyranny of evil. Rather than like Columbo trying to see the guilty convicted, God has purposed to see the guilty set free, to see the guilty made whole, to see the guilty restored. We know that this plan reached its fulfillment at the cross with Jesus. And that's why we get so excited, don't we, as we come into the Christmas season, because we get to celebrate that. The whole reason for Jesus coming and being born into this earth was that he, he, he could be that remedy for sin. So that we, as he goes to the cross, he is that one that can bring freedom from guilt and shame and sin. But where does God's plan of redemption initiate? Where is it initiated? Well, it's initiated through Abraham, or Abram, as his name is known in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, interestingly, was chosen simply by grace. There was nothing outstanding, perhaps, about Abraham. We don't read any of his background that that makes him uh, a, a perfect candidate for God to choose. God just chooses him by grace, just as he chooses each one of us. By grace. But through Abraham, Abraham would be God's vessel through which this plan of salvation from sin would be set in motion. So let's just take a moment and you can read up on the screens. I apologize uh, for the grace stuff down at the bottom. I have no idea. We've tried to correct it, but our, our slides have been corrupted. But please just read with me Genesis chapter 12 and the story or the beginning of the story of Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those uh, who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All people on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From then on, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Just three thoughts from this passage as we come to consider a fresh start. First thing we find is we find the call of Abraham. Abraham at the time of his call was living in a place called 
Ur of Chaldeans. We don't find that in this passage, but in those three other passages that you see up there, we find that Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. That's present-day Iraq, uh, along or close to where the Euphrates and the Persian Gulf is. It was the great, one of the great civilizations of its time. It was quite progressive. The only problem was it was plagued with idolatry, idol worship. Abraham's fathers and relatives were actually idol worshippers. They worshipped the moon god. Even today, if you go to the same place, you can see some of the big ziggurats that would stand even at that time. And on the, on the top of those big edifices and buildings, they would have and house altars to the moon god. And so Abraham grew up in this pagan community in this pagan town, in this pagan city. But in the midst of this pagan city, God comes and calls him again, simply by grace. While he was in Ur, Abraham got this message from God. And the message from God was this, go from go from your country, go from your people or your king, your kin, and go from your father's household. But he wasn't just told to go from He was asked to go to. Go to a land that I will show you. And he was asked to go and directed to go to the way of Canaan. Hebrews 11.8 tells us that Abraham acted by faith and in obedience. In a short amount of time, Abraham would have packed up his bags and he would go from that place of sin, place of idolatry, that place of just where God wasn't, and he would go to a new land where God would show him. You know, the application of that can be for all of us. The call of God is sometimes to change, be changed for all of us. It could be to change attitudes. It could be to change service. It could be to change lifestyle. There might be some different kind of change in there for all of us. But the call of God is always to change something. We can't stay in a place of sin. God calls us to leave. And sometimes those things might be easy to leave. I would imagine it's easy to leave your country. I left New Zealand at the age of 18. Okay, that was somewhat difficult, but I didn't mind leaving New Zealand. I also had to leave all my cousins. I grew up where my cousin Wesley was my best mate. He was my best friend. We were like two, two peas in a pod. We did everything together. It, it got a little bit harder to all of a sudden leave my uncles and aunts and all my, all my family. But you know what? The most difficult thing was leaving mum and dad. I still remember crying at the airport as I left mum and dad. I left my, my two sisters and my brother. But guys, when God calls us to leave something, sometimes it's going to be tough. There'll be some easy things to leave, but there are going to be some really tough things that he calls you to leave at the same time. But if we're going to be faithful to the call, we need to be ready to leave. And we need to respond to that call in faith and obedience. God had a marvelous call for Abraham. God has a marvelous call for you and I. And our lives. It's a wonderful call. It's a call to leave any involvement with sin, any leave any involvement in her, and come and live in a new way of life. Abraham didn't just get a call, though, he also got some promises to hold on to. 
He got the promise of land in 1 and 7. He got the promise of descendants in verse 2. He got the promise of blessings in verse 2 and 3. As you read through Scripture and through the history books, you see how these promises have come true for Abraham. You see that those promises of land have come true. Abraham's descendants inherited the land of Canaan. You read about that in the book of Joshua as they had those conquests. As they came out of Egypt, God led them through the desert, and he led them into the promised land. You read about that in Joshua. Yes, at times they lost that land, but even today, much of it is back in the hands of Israel from Abraham. Abraham was blessed with many descendants. From Abraham came the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation, this proud nation that even today still trace their roots Back to Abraham. And then you have the promise of blessing. You know, many times, many through, down through the centuries, many have tried to destroy and crush the nation of Israel, crush the Jews, but all have failed. They've even made mistakes themselves. The nation and its people through the centuries have endured some major failures where God has really disciplined them. They've endured some major exiles where they lost their land. They lost their inheritance for a time. They've suffered through major atrocities that has sought to annihilate the Jewish race from planet Earth. But God is faithful to his promises. God has always kept a remnant for himself. God still has a plan and a purpose for Israel. Folks, we should be encouraged that God has promises that he knows how to fulfill. And those promises that he's promised over your life, my life, those promises that we read out of Scripture that are for you and for I as believers as we seek to follow God, we can claim those, we can hold on to those because God is faithful. He will see them fulfilled. But here's the glorious part. Within this third promise, we see a prophetic promise or a prophetic word that would address the story of sin. We see a prophetic word that will deal with the sin nature of man. We see a prophetic word that would bring hope to all the nations, all peoples, all culture. We've already encountered one of those prophetic words in Genesis 3:15. Remember God's words to Satan in the garden. God's words to Satan in the garden was, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Again, pointing towards Jesus. But here we also have another one in Genesis 12, 3. All people will be blessed through you. God was revealing that one of the threads of the salvation message is that through Abraham, a descendant would come. Somebody of a future generation, a son would be born of his lineage. And he, that future son, would be the blessing to all the world. Again, we know that promised, we know the heir to be Jesus. But what I find wonderful about that is this. Paul highlights this as the gospel message. In Galatians 3, 7 through 9, read this, marvelous chapter, read this marvelous passage with me. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance. To Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Believers today, Christians today, the richness of Scripture, the richness of the, script, of the Christian faith 
is not that the gospel was announced in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The richness of the gospel is that the gospel was announced in Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 3. The gospel, the good news of Jesus dealing with the sin, the gospel, the good news of Jesus redeeming mankind, of dealing with the deceit and destruction of sin, is not claimed in the New Testament. It has its threads starting way back in Genesis the good news of the gospel started at the crime scene of Genesis 3 through 11. And as you read through the Old Testament, you see those threads of God's redemption plan woven together all over the place. Such that when we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, the Jewish people certainly, but we should be expecting the promised son. We should be expecting the heir of Abraham. We should be expecting the one who would be a blessing, not just to the Jewish nation, but to every nation in the world. That means you and I as well, the Gentiles. God's call, but God's great promise and the promise of a coming Messiah. And with that call, with that promise, what does Abraham do? He steps out in faith and he steps out in obedience and he travels to this land that God will show him. And over the next few verses, we just see Abraham doing that. It's not easy to pick up from these verses. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into any detail. But as Abraham and his family journeyed from Ur to Canaan, we see that they settled for a time in a place called Haran. Haran was the halfway point. If you go along the Fertile Crescent from the Persian Gulf to Israel, you would, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of an arc of the journey that it would have taken. Haran is about midway, the midway point through that journey. And no real detail is given of, of why or how long they, they stayed there for, only that for a time Abraham stopped in Haran. One thought that perhaps we can apply to our lives is that when God calls us to go somewhere, go. Let's not get stuck halfway. The good thing for Abraham was that he realized he got stuck halfway and carried on his journey. The journey from Haran to Canaan uh, is picked up in verses 4 and 5. And we're there, we discover there that how old was Abraham when he was asked to leave Haran? He was not a spring chicken, was he? He's not an old, he, was, he was getting into his older age. He was 75 years. I hope I make it to 75. Listen, there's no age limit to when God can put his call upon you and call you into a place of obedience and stepping out and going to somewhere new. And then as we read through verses 6 through 9, we see Abraham now walking through this land that God has promised to him. It's interesting to note in verse 7 that God appeared to him when he appeared to him back in Ur of Chaldeans. But the next time he appears to him that we're told is when he's obeyed. He's now actually living in Canaan. That was when God shows up. And what is Abraham's response? There he built an altar to the Lord. We see him actually doing it on two different occasions. In verse 7 and verse 8, Abraham builds an altar to the Lord. We don't, we don't find this next information here, but as you read through the life of Abraham over the subsequent chapters, we discover that Abraham died at 175 years of age, Genesis 25, 7. So that meant that Abraham had spent 100 years just living in the land of Canaan. Guess what? 
as he lived for those hundred years in the land of Canaan, the only thing he built was altars. He didn't build himself a house because he lived in tents. He was a nomad. He moved around. The only thing that we know that Abraham built was altars to God. The only land he owned was a burial tomb where he buried his wife, Sarah, when she passed. That gives a bit of a reflection of the attitude of uh, Abraham's approach to life. Abraham's approach to his life was this. We read it in Hebrews uh, eleven thirteen, that great faith chapter. All these people, Abraham being one of the all of these, a bit like Cain and Noah and Enoch and others, they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Here's the bit I really love. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Why did they want to admit that they were just foreigners and strangers on earth? Verse 16, because they were longing for a better, a heavenly country. A better country, a heavenly country. Folks, today, as believers, where are our eyes? Are our eyes on building things with wood, hay, and stubble on this earth? Or have we got that eternal picture? Listen, there's nothing wrong with owning nice things and having a nice home and doing good things. Those, those, that's fine. But it's not fine when those things come in front of our relationship with Christ. And they become almost like idols for us. Abraham's life is a great example for us. That he traveled through this life with light hands. He was willing to give it all up. He was willing to give it all away. It meant nothing to him. But his relationship with God meant everything to him. Just as we come to an end, hopefully that you found this summary helpful of where we've been going on in the beginning. Can I just ask you this week, can I ask you to read through Genesis 12 through 25? Just read the life of Abraham. Just read the miracle story of his life. Be encouraged by all that God does in the life of Abraham. But next week, we're going to specifically focus on Genesis chapter 22. And I'd ask you to read through that a couple of times, because next week we're going to look at Abraham's son Isaac and their relationship, because there we find a, a very much a picture of Jesus. And in that picture of Jesus with Abraham and Isaac, his son, we get to see how Christ has come and God has come to deal with the problem of sin. And we're going to take communion next week together as well. But Genesis 3 through 11 is the crime scene. Genesis 22 gives us this picture of how Christ has come to set us free. How Christ has come to take a guilty man and say, I offer you my pardon, my forgiveness. As I finish, can I leave us with one other challenge? Salvation is really all about having a revelation of Jesus. And as we get that revelation of Jesus... It's probably a call to step away from some things and a fresh call to step towards some things. May we hear God's call afresh. And may we respond like Abraham did in faith, but in obedience. Maybe we were, maybe, may we be willing to leave any sins that are in our lives. Maybe we, may we be willing to step out and say, God, I need to leave those things behind. Why? Because I serve a holy God and I want to live a holy life 
Help me to do that. Some of those things might be tough. Some of those things might be difficult. Some things might be very easy to leave. A bit like leaving New Zealand. A bit like leaving my, fam- uh, my cousins and them. But some things will be tough to leave. Leave it anyway. God wants you and calls us to obey. Don't hold on to those things. They're only, only going to hold you back and limit you from really knowing who God is. And may we live like Abraham did. May we live not thinking about the trappings, the comforts, and the treasures of this world. Really, they should mean nothing to us. May we live with our gaze on heaven. May we live with a focus that in however many years God gives us on this earth, that this earth is not our final destination. We are going to reign with him for eternity. To put aside and set aside the sin that can easily hold us and limit us. But just recognize this, that God has come to set the guilty free. That's the whole story of the Bible from Genesis 12 to Revelation. He's come to set the guilty free. If you're in that place right now and you just don't know, you're not walking with God and you're doing all things wrong. In this next song, we're going to sing Amazing Grace That Saved a Wretch Like Me. Every single one of us has been in that boat at one time. Just come to God, offer Him your sin. Ask Him to set you free. Ask Him to cleanse you. Maybe some of us are caught in that halfway house. You've stepped out trying to obey God, but you've been caught in Haran. It's okay. Say, God, forgive me. Help me to complete the journey. Help me to go to that promised land. Help me to go to that place where I know that I can walk in freedom and liberty because of what Christ has done for me. Heavenly Father, just say thank you for your words. I say thank you that sin no longer has any hold over our lives. I say thank you for the example that Abraham has given us to hear your call, to understand your promises, but God, to do something about it, to step out in faith and obedience, not to be hindered or restricted by sin any longer, but to live in purity and holiness, to live in the promised land, as it were. God, we say thank you that the gospel is good news where the guilty one can be set free. Minister to us as we just worship you again through the song we pray. Amen. Amen.